Well, hello there. This is Brian Melanson. Let's just give you a big friendly howdy. Coming here from our studio in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. You're listening to the Altitude Sessions podcast. It is 4th of July time. I hope you're out there having a hell of a good holiday. We're going to talk a little bit about, really, 4th of July trivia and how to manage yourself there, fellow top executive. It's time for you to be thinking about yourself a little bit. Got a heck of a good show today. Let's get on it. Thanks. Well, happy birthday, America. We're heading into this 4th of July weekend. Thanks for spending a little time with us here on the Altitude Sessions podcast. You know, we thought it'd be a little little bit of fun to maybe do a little bit of 4th of July trivia as we head into this 244th 4th of July celebration. And, uh, you know, I, I we'll start out with just some just some fun stuff. Like, I don't know if, if you... If, if if you've probably noticed or have ever dug into this a little bit, but you know Massachusetts was actually the first state to recognize this holiday. They recognized it on July third of seventeen eighty one, which was an interesting, interesting thing. And when you think about it in our industry, there's probably folks in Massachusetts that say, "Yeah, we also brought forward the first version of what became the Affordable Care Act too." So you know the U.S. And the federal government, they're doing a damn good job of of copying a lot of the things that we're trailblazing in our state. But Massachusetts was the first to recognize the holiday in 1781. Congress followed along just a few short years later, almost 90 years later. They followed along on June 28th of 1870 when it was recognized as a national holiday. So, you know, pretty uh, pretty fascinating stuff when you think about that. And, you know, here's the question, you know, and by raise of hand and on the honor system, How many of you think the actual Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th? Give you a couple seconds to ponder that. If you said yes, you're wrong. The actual actual Declaration of Independence wasn't signed on the 4th of July. It was actually the official document that was signed and had all the big signatures on it and everything else was signed on August the 2nd, not July 4th. So there's some interesting things there with regard to our national holiday. You know, when you think about presidential folks, and we'll we'll wrap this in with some interesting insights on leadership and being presidential here in a bit, but Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died 50 years after the document was more or less formalized, memorialized, July 4th, 1826. So they, they died 50 years later on the same day. So there's some interesting things there that uh, we could talk more about, too, if we want to. Now, you know, for all of you folks that are out there that are planning on your river floats or you're planning on going out to the beach or you're planning on getting away from the heat and coming up somewhere in the mountains, wherever that may be, or just hanging out around home with, with family and friends, which is a darn good thing to do as well, the National Retail Federation estimates that we spend just shy of $7 billion on food to celebrate the July 4th holiday. Pretty amazing when you think about it. We spend $6.7 billion, is close to the estimate, let's just call it 7 That's a lot of food, that's a lot of hot dogs, folks, that's a lot of hamburgers, that's a lot of all sorts of interesting things that, that you guys are uh, cooking out there. We spend a billion dollars on beer, it's the, the biggest holiday of the year for beer sales, so Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch and InBev, whatever the hell they are, they're called these days, they thank you. 
And we spend about $560 million on wine, although I suspect with our millennial friends as they get rolling in this holiday with more discretionary spend over time, that number will probably go up. So, you know, almost $1.6 billion on beer and wine for this 4th of July holiday. So drink up and enjoy. And on that, I will go ahead and say the same. To celebrate the 4th of July, that is American bourbon that came from the store right behind us here in in Jackson. It's uh, called Spirits and Spice. It's just a handwritten bottle. It says it's blended from two top-end bourbons. I don't know what that means. It's probably some touristy thing that they're doing just to say, hey, this is really good stuff. But what it really is is you're buying you know, Evan Williams mixed up with water and some other shit in a bottle and welcome to Jackson and take home your tourist trinket. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we support the folks around us, and I'm having the American Bourbon Mystery Blend today um, as we celebrate this 4th of July podcast. So again, happy 4th of July. Yay, we've made it just about to the halfway point in the year. Congratulations. It's been kind of a, an action-packed and a little bit of a weird year, I, I think you could say, in some, in some regards, because there's just so much going on. And you know, when you push back uh, all the various regulations and other things that people have been talking about up to this point, there, there is a lot to consider. And you know what we're going to do in honor of the holiday? I'm not going to consider any of it. We're just going to talk a little bit more about you and professional development and maintaining yourself, because I think that these are important parts of what we do on this podcast, and it's very important parts of what we do in our advisory business here at M4, and we want to talk a little bit more about that. I mean, let's, let's just put the focus more on you and your health and your your mindfulness and talk a little bit more about that, you know, how, how to basically manage yourself. Because, you know, to start off, as, as, as a top executive, you're really good at managing. You're really good at managing budgets. You're really good at managing resources. You're really good at managing problems. You're really good at managing your people. You're really good at managing whatever comes to your door. But most of you, to be quite candid, aren't very good at managing yourself. And that kind of drives down to some of the things that, that I want to get into today, which is just talking about how, how you can manage yourself and manage yourself better and how you can build the right support networks and advisory networks and other things that are going to help you succeed. But, you know, success not just defined in a very narrow focus. Success is not always how do you succeed in your job. You're, you're worried about that enough day in and day out that that's that's already well established. The, the other question is, how do you succeed with some of the other things? How do you succeed by, by doing the things that are going to allow you to, to be mindful and to handle your stress and to handle some of the anxieties and other things that your job pushes you, you know, by pushing the envelope every day, it pushes you to those thresholds. How do you manage those things? And what do you need to do to manage those things better? And we're going to talk a little bit more about, about, about that. And just, you know, just brief reminders. M4, you know, what, what's our role in some of this? And as we make the case here in a bit, I mean, what, what are some of the roles here? One, you know, our, first and foremost, what we do as a business, we are personal advisors. We work with 220 top executives all over the United States, and that's what we do. You know, we're, we're the folks that are there that establish close, personal, interconnected relationships with these top executives where we focus not only on their success as individuals, but we also help them think through the strategy to help their business be successful. And there's a multi-pronged attack that comes with that. But, you know, we, we start there. That's where we start. And then we help build a deep community. We, we 
help pull you out and slow things down every once in a while and actually make you think through how to broaden your relationships and how to drive deeper relationships so that you now have a support system of people that you may not have had even even a year ago that actually care about you, that actually want to be involved in your success, but actually just want, want to take interest in you and want to know your story and, and, and someone that you're comfortable enough in telling your story to. We help build that type of community. And it's, gosh, it feels, gosh, isn't that the soft stuff and the fluffy stuff? Well, yeah, that soft and fluffy stuff is pretty damn necessary. And we'll talk about why some of that's that really is necessary in a bit. You know, and then, you know, we take all this personal advisor, we take this building deep communities and then we, we focus on, hey, how do we get shit done together? That's kind of a third step. What is what is the get shit done moments and how do we actually build things that, that go into the marketplace that allow you to be successful, maybe to take off some of the the anxiety, some of the worries, some of the pressures that come with the day in and day out of the job. And I believe me, as, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, the pressures and the anxieties, they don't always go away, but there are ways that we can manage it better. And then, you know, then the last is really, it's, it, it is the focus on you. It's not just the focus on the business, the business, the, the success of the business and the success of the business unit and the team and other things. Those things are very important and we do focus on that, but it can't be left alone to say that's all we do. It's also got to be the focus on building a deep, trusted relationship and I would dare say a friendship with each of the executives that we work with because that's, that's really what it takes. It, it, it takes that, that type of truly interpersonal relationship where you want to talk about the dogs and you want to talk about how things are going on, you know, at, at, at home and, and how the kids are doing and how things are wrapping up in sports and, you know, what your new passions are and, and those type of things. That all wraps into this whole, how do we be successful? How, how do we be mindful of our success? How do we uh, portray ourselves in a way where our teams want to be successful for us? And, and how do we, lack, you know, really lock all that stuff up and lock up to where it really makes sense? And that's that's really what we're trying to do. So there's some really great stuff that's that's been put out there that I think makes a lot of sense. And you know, we'll start with with just like Drew Houston, who is the the founder of Dropbox. And one of the key tenets of being really good at what you do whether you're a P&L owner, whether you're managing your team for the first time, whether you're the CEO of one of the largest multi-billion dollar entities in healthcare, one of the things that you got to start with is it starts with passion. And I, I think Drew basically articulated what this passion is when you're talking about going after an issue and what that what that really means and what that level of passion really should be like. And when ta- they talk about the, you know, the the seriousness of people like Bill Gates way back when and how he, he would code himself to sleep, wake up, and then do it all over again. The the way that the way that Drew Houston describes it is it's it's effectively calls it uh, the, the kind of a tennis ball theory. And it's it's the way the dog you're you're like a Labrador and I have I have a chocolate Labrador who's a wonderful field lab that likes to go out and run and fetch balls and everything else. And then I have a, a blondie lab, a fox red that's probably the laziest thing I've ever come across in my life that would, would if I would throw it a ball it would look at me most days and say yeah go fuck yourself you go get it but I've got I've got this chocolate lab that, that really fits into into Drew's theory which is it's that obsessed look that the dog gives you when you're holding the ball right before you throw it that's that's a level of passion a level of intensity a level of focus a level of commitment and, and just to say I am going to go get that thing as soon as you throw it and that's that's you know the type of passion that we deal with day in and day out in our industry and, and you know the the executives really even outside of our industry 
that that's that's passion and you know there's all these articles out there you know Jessica Stillman wrote one in Inc a, a couple of years ago that just talked about what does it take to be you know sea level material and you know CEO level material you know it's passion it's it's this tennis ball theory it's being able to tell a story it's being able to dream big it's it's being a constant learner and yada 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 and yeah that all makes sense and that's right and that that type of content that's out there is it's useful and you read it and you go yeah yeah that's right and that I do need to be a continuous learner and I do need to be more passionate and gosh, I, I really could work on my ability to tell a story about my lazy ass lab and you know, boy, that would be fun and, and everything else. And that would really get people involved in the, the storytelling and want to get people more involved in who I am and, and, and as, as an executive and draw people into my circle and all that stuff really, really makes sense. But, but it, it holds back on the other side of leadership and why it is so important, in my opinion, to have you know, someone that you can turn to, that you can trust, someone that sits in your circle that's not, not your current boss, it's not a family member, it's, it's, it's someone that, that's, that's an advisor that you can trust, that you can lean on, that you can talk about things that you cannot talk to your team about, you can't talk to the board about, that you can't talk to your customers about. Those people are important because there's a whole other side to, to leadership that goes beyond just the lab theory, like throw the ball, go get the ball, and I have a lot of passion. There, there's something else out there that, that has, to be, has to be thought through. And that doesn't always get talked about near enough. So there are there are things that I think that 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 you know you can start with you know even great quotes like Mark Twain who said you know whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority it's time to pause and reflect. You know said more simply don't follow the crowd without thinking for yourself. And you know when you get into these leadership roles there's this entire discussion around. Is, is it really truly lonely at the top? Because you're in this echo chamber inside the organization where everybody's managing up to you and they're trying to control the level of information that you get and they're telling you the things you want to hear. They're not telling you the things that you don't. And, you know, they parrot back a lot of the, the ideas and the thoughts and everything that you say is kind of, is kind of the, the, the new Bible of the organization. And it becomes this echo chamber and you start to live in it and it starts to feel pretty lonely. It starts to feel maybe a better word. It feels isolating. So as you're, you know, more aware, as Mark Twain put it, you know, as you find yourself in the majority more and more in your role because people are following you and you're listening to the, the words of your colleagues and you've got this insular view on everything, it is time to sometimes pause and reflect, to, to try to take yourself out of that, to try to take yourself out of that and to think through that a little bit differently and, and, and to start to really maybe expand the thinking, to slow things down and all these buzzwords that we've used in the past that are all part of what our model and what we do here and why we think it's so darn important. You know, Tim Cook in an interview is, I think it was in 2016, you know, pretty wide ranging interview about what it was like to take over Apple from Steve Jobs and, and other things. You know, he, he basically said, you know, one of the easiest things for an executive, particularly of his caliber and a company like that, that's leading the world in a whole lot of different things with, with regard to, to digitalization, the phones and so on and so forth. You know, he, he basically said it's, it's very, very easy for executives like him and other people that report to him to develop blind spots. And it is. Uh, a little more a little more drink there. It is easy to develop blind spots. And, you know, as you dig into that a little bit deeper, the question then becomes when you, if you know and you're aware that you have these blind spots, what do you do about it? There's the, there's the question, do you have this silent advisor? Do you have this person behind you that you can rely on, that's your rock, that you can lean on, that actually helps you? Most top executives do. And then, you know, they range the gamut of, 
uh, of uh, you know the the hourly folks to the folks that make millions of dollars a year that influence you know some of the some of the biggest executives in this industry and but there is this this advisor component to it and then there's the other question about but is the advisor is that necessary when you have a really good formal business network and and a lot of the research shows that even a really good formal business network over time becomes its own echo chamber it becomes its own echo chamber particularly because most executives hang out with people that they like and they know and they kind of car carve themselves into a small crowd and they call it and say that's good enough and I know these people and these are the people I can rely on and there's no stretching there's no redefining the boundaries of what that network is so it becomes this formal business network that's been established sometimes it's the same network that's been together for years and it just becomes its own version of an echo chamber so now you got the echo chamber inside your organization with people that are basically managing up to you all the time and now you got this other echo chamber outside the organization where you think that you broaden the horizons a little bit but it's really the same people saying the same thing year over year over year over year. Oh, my. What do we do about that? Well, that's where the stretching and the redefinition of boundaries and the pushing of what that external network should be is important. And that's why even having that internal rock, that advisor, is so important to help navigate what those boundaries should be. And I'll even tell you, you know, one of the things that I've found over the five years of doing like our formulate business groups is I have found that there are executives out there that even if we bring this incredible smorgasbord of people and you know typically this group by design or the groups that we pull together by design are 30 to 40 percent different every year and that's on purpose because we don't want to establish this this echo chamber now we've got people that have been the same and they've been part of the group for many many years that are kind of the foundation for what we built the, this this group upon but what we find is that within that foundation, it is not uncommon for a lot of folks when they come into our business groups and they're coming to Atlanta or they come to Jackson Hole this year, they go seek out the same people. They echo chamber themselves. And then, you know, we talk to them, you know, two months later and we said, hey, did you know we had this person, this person, this person, and this person that we invited very specifically for you, for you to meet because we believe that it would push the boundaries for what you think the industry is and where it's going. It would help push the boundaries on what you think your business and strategy should be. And it would push the boundaries in the way that just generally you think about leadership. Did you meet any of those folks? And there are times and there are people that say no, because they have even within our own groups created their own echo chamber. They have created their own safe space. They have created their own, I don't want a cold network and I don't want a cold go, you know, work a room with 80, 80 people anymore and, and try to understand their stories. I just want to go back and talk to the same 10, 12, 15 people that I've known for the last four or five years. That happens. And, and, you know, there's things about that that even we're thinking about, gosh, how do we break that a little bit? Because pushing the boundaries, continuing, continuing to push on those boundaries of your network, it's really important for some of the other things that we'll talk about. And as, as we get into this, this Tim Cook quote, he talks a lot about blind spots, but he also talks about the general thinking of, hey, it's really lonely at the top. And there was an article in Forbes in 2018 by Naz Beheshti, and she actually wrote a kind of a counter, a rebuttal of that, saying that, you know what, the research shows that actually in Tim's uh, mind, when he's talking about things around being lonely at the top, you know, the, the general axiom, the things oversaid and overstated and overused, it's not lonely at the top. What it is is it's it's really it's isolating at the top. And there's a difference between those words because loneliness in its true academic form says that you're on edge. It says that you have no power over your situation. It says that you're completely disconnected from reality or in this case connected, con disconnected from your organization. Those are not true when you're a leader. You do have power. You're not fully disconnected from the organization. At least you better not be. And you're typically not on edge. But what you are is you're isolated. You're isolated. 
you're not seeking different points of view. You're insular in your focus. So you're insular in managing your team. And over time, that 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 viewpoint, while you can control your surroundings and your team, and you can make sure that information doesn't get out, and and, and you know everybody that's there, it it creates this isolation because of that that approach. So then you got to think through, you know, the the internal versus external support, and you have plenty of support internally. The question becomes, how do you leverage some of the external support that you're going to need to stretch boundaries, to push you, to think differently about the business so that the market doesn't turn on you and create more anxiety, more stress, and all the things that people talk about in this industry that, that kind of chew us up? You know, Albert Einstein said that we need to strive to be a success. Or we need to strive not. I'll get this right in a minute. Jesus, two drinks and I already can't read. Strive not to be a success, but rather to be a value. And Einstein, I, I believe we can all agree, he was a pretty smart guy. So he said, strive not, strive not to be a success, but rather to be a value. So, you know, putting aside all the the, the push and the viewpoints on, on how people perceive you as being successful, the bigger issue is not how you look. Do you look successful or are you actually providing value? And it's that that cognitive dissonance between, hey, I'm I, I'm in this big role and I need to look successful, but I know deep down all my anxieties and my fears and everything else are really that for me to stay in this role, it's not just looking successful that matters. It's the fact that I can actually deliver value. And that's what keeps people up in every single one of the top executive roles that you listening to this podcast. It's that you sit in today. That's what keeps you up. It's It's not... You, you guys can all dress and speak and other things because you've gotten to the roles there because of those things. The, what keeps you there is actually being able to deliver value. So Einstein gets it right. Is don't strive to be a success. You know, rather find a way to be a value. Be a value to your colleagues. Be a value to people that aren't in your organization. Share, you know, push forward, give forward, pay it forward. Do those type of things that actually allow you as an organization and as an individual to add value, add value to the industry, add value to the industry that benefits your company, add value to the industry in ways that maybe it doesn't. Maybe it helps somebody else because you're taking the time to get to know them, because you're taking the time to care for them, because you're taking the time to make sure that they as individuals are successful in walking in the role that they're doing, being successful as a mom and dad or home, being being successful as a grandparent, being successful as a, a, a church or community leader, whatever those things may be, you know, helping prop people up in that way has its values and it goes well beyond just thinking through tomorrow's P&L. So think through those, some of those things because, you, again, you guys are all really good at managing. You're really, really good at managing. You're good at managing all the things that come with the resources, people, information, politics. You manage that stuff every day in the role. The question becomes, how do you manage yourself? And how do you manage the way that you as an individual interacts with the rest of, of, of the industry and interacts with the folks that are in your personal lives and the personal lives of the friends and even executive colleagues that you've met and you've become friends with? How do you manage that? So there's some fascinating things that come with being a leader. And uh, Jonathan Davidson, who is at Duke, he actually went back and he reviewed all the biographical you know, takes and the histories on the first 37 presidents in our, in our history. So tying it back to the 4th of July, what he found is that half, half of all of those presidents were afflicted at some point by mental illness because leadership, guys, is hard. 
leadership requires a support network. Leadership requires people that are in your corner rooting for you, that are in your corner picking you up when things get really friggin' hard. So this this role and the, the job that you're in, it is it is hard. The the jobs that we're in are hard. You know, uh, taking even further, Michael Freeman, he looked at mental health amongst entrepreneurs and he surveyed 242 entrepreneurs. 49% reported they were struggling with a mental condition. Depression was number one. 30% of that group actually identified themselves as depressed because of the anxieties and the role and, and the pressures and the, the perceptions they always have to live up to in that particular role. 30% identified as being depressed in that sample of 242 entrepreneurs. That is higher than the national average of 7% for the general popu population of the United States. It's almost four times higher in that particular study. It's actually over four times higher in that particular study than the general population that identifies being depressed because being in these roles is taxing, and we all know that. You know, the Vistage, which is a you know, group that gets together pretty successful and accomplished business leaders of various revenue levels, they found, <laughs> believe it or not, that 100%, I can't believe it wasn't like 99.8%, 100% of 2,400 CEOs that they did in their little study were all suffering from stress. And stress is the enemy of creative thinking, and creative thinking is one of the number one things that, that highly successful and accomplished CEOs have to be able to do and do very well. It has an impact on medical, mental and physical health, and other things as well, and and that's that's the thing that that's crazy. And you know, Jane Bernard, you know, came in even beyond this and said, you know, leading at the top actually creates people over time when they live in isolation. So there's that word again: when they live in isolation, it creates recurring pathologies. It creates narcissism. You know, the more you've been in that role, do you become? Do you have this kind of this narcissistic viewpoint on the world that everything centers around you? That isolation, that bubble that you live in, it's me and it's I control my kingdom and nobody's going to come fuck with my kingdom. There, there's, there's a narcissism. Is, is, there, is there a, you know, an over-optimism on certain things? Yeah, we can scale Everest together. Fuck that line. We'll go around the corner. Yeah, I don't think so because there's only, way, only one way sometimes up to the top of the peak and back down. And there's a lot of people that die, you know, unfortunately in that journey these days. So there's over-optimism. You know, there's fear. There's anxiety. There, there's, there's anger. There's depression. You know, and, and even in, in that study from Bernard, she found that CEOs at their level could be depressed at almost two times more than the, the actual level of depression in the general population. So let's just call it somewhere between two and four times based on these studies. And that's, that's why, look, that's why it's really important for you as an individual to establish a relationship with a close personal advisor. Someone that you care about and who cares about you. Someone that's going to be there for the long haul in your role. Someone that's going to be there when there are things that happen in your personal life that can be discussed. Someone that can be there when there's an issue with the team thing that's popping up you can't talk to anybody else about. Because the cumulative effect of the isolation, the role that you're in, the stress that you're always under, the, the drive to perform and to meet the high expectations that you set for yourself Given a long enough time, they take enough debits out of our body that they kill us from a mindfulness perspective, and we perform as a cohort way worse than the general population in things like mental health. And that's a shitty deal sometimes because people look at it and they say, hey, that's the role I want, and that's, that's where I want to be. And then when you get there, you know, the realities of being in that role sometimes are much different. So you have to be able to manage through that. So 
Establishing that personal close advisor is important. Expand your network. You know, number two, push on the network. Push on the network. Expand your boundaries. Get out of your echo chamber. And if you start to hear that echo, move a step to the left. Get away from the echo. Get away from the rebound and start thinking about the business a little bit more. Find ways in the mindfulness world. Find ways to relax. And this is why we've talked about things. And you may have listened to previous podcasts. You know, we've talked about things like forest bathing. We've talked about ways to get out and allow nature to kind of do its thing. Because in nature, there is so much chaos that the human mind can't understand. It actually relaxes it. It actually relaxes it. It's not this squared off cubicle, you know, uh, world, even though with all the stuff we try to do with ergonomic planning and things in environments, office environments, office environments still with their lights and with their with the concrete floors and carpeting and cubicles and, and phones always ringing. It, it's still much more of an ordered, structured line in, in a way of approaching work and other things. It's, uh, over time, kind of weighs on us and takes debits out of our body and, and creates this imbalance, which leads to some things down the line that may not be great for any of us. So you got to think through things like that. How do, you, how, do, how do you relax? How do you take advantage of your environment to, to relax? How do you get out of the, the day in and day out zone? And then there's just there's just a freaking realization guys that there's so much going on in this industry that at some point there's going to be failures that we're all going to have of some magnitude that we're going to have to get over it is inevitable that there's going to be some degree of failure that we're going to have in this industry that we're going to have to get over and you know we're, we're talking you know coming up here soon in Atlanta a couple weeks you know in a couple weeks the Atlanta group's going to get together and we're going to have this this mind-blowing discussion around voice and the role of voice and voice technology and you know all the pre-survey data and everything that we see it still shows that you know a lot of people I, I don't know if they're discounting voice you just can't, still can't see it or if it's like ah that's too far out or that's never going to happen or you know I don't know what it is but there there are all these speakers and smart assistants and AI and other things that are being built to basically create companionship in a world where technology is isolated us. And isn't that, isn't that kind of the shit of it? We've all gotten on these social media platforms and we've all, you know, thinking that we're more interconnected than ever and we can chat and we can, you know, we can, you know, swipe left, right. We can do whatever the hell we want to create this world that comes around us and comes to us whenever we want it. And yet it's isolated us at ways that we've never conceived possible. And now the answer to technology is let's put a smart assistant and a companion in every one of our homes that, that kind of befriends us. And, and, you know, now all of a sudden we've got this thing that's starting to make our life easier again. And it, it feels nice and cuddly. And, you know, we talked about the Ashley 2 thing in a, in a previous podcast and, and other things. But it feels this nice and cuddly and it feels good. And now all of a sudden we can start to, you know, perhaps sell things to these people and control things in these in the, in the world of these people and other things and it's already happening so i'll give you a perfect example of where voice could actually start to come in and alter distribution strategies and others there is a there is a senior living center called front porch that's actually already using amazon alexa and they've got the echo dots that they're putting in rooms of senior citizens now and, it, and they're actually it's kind of brilliant the way they're doing it too it is the actual dot is free but if the senior citizen in the room uses it and it starts to create these conveniences and they start to build a relationship with Alexa through this capability, then it's setting up where they can actually pay it forward by paying for not their device, but paying for a neighbor's device in the center. And then that, that Echo Dot now shows up at a neighbor's room three, three rooms over. And this is creating a world where what, what the, the senior living center is saying is it's restoring independence and it's combating loneliness, two things that are major contributors to, to really the downfall of health and other things in senior citizens. 
and it's allowing them to even do things like understanding what the menu choice is for breakfast on Saturday and asking Alexa to figure that out. It's, allow, it's allowing what the, you know, the activities are at the activity center and getting answers like that. But that's just the start, you know, starting to read books to them, you know, through Audible. And it's, it's, it's starting to play music and favorite musics and it's remembering favorite music and it's starting to play it at certain times of the day. That's just the start. At what point does it, does it become obvious that this is also the tool that's going to sell your Medicare Advantage plan? And it's going to say, hey, I've already thought through all the options and it's this plan and this, this approach and it's the right thing to do. At what point do we get there? And the infrastructure and the groundwork is already being laid. So thinking through that and having to think through the implications of that is, is really important. And we'll get into that in a later podcast. We're, hey, we're at the mid-year point. This is uh, episode 13. We're mid-year, right smack dab in the middle of the 26 sessions that we're going to do in the Altitude Sessions podcast. It has been a blast putting together these first episodes. It's been really great to see the library get put together and how people are responding to it. Continue to talk to your friends about it. Let's continue to grow this thing together. Uh, get involved with this. You can always comment online. You can uh, become part of the community through our online digital portal by, portal by signing up for a free profile there if you're not part of the community today. But just you know, continue to get involved with this. We love to work with senior executives. That is the core of our business. And then the business group work that we do around it is a wraparound to that that allows us to create and push on these network effects to help grow the network and help grow the ideas and other things that may help you be successful as a person and as you know a team leader, as a business leader within your company. So I'm going to leave it there. Hey, have a really heck of a good 4th of July. Go out there and do something fun. Uh, if, you, if you get a second, you know, telling stories I've been told is really important for CEOs. Call me. Tell me your story. Tell me what you did over the holiday, how your family's doing. Let's connect on that personal level, too, because it's really important based on all the things that this research is showing and other things. And that's really what we're here for. We're here to connect with you on a personal level to help you be successful as an individual, to help you grow your business as a byproduct of that. We focus on the individual first, and then the business comes along. And my gosh, if you look at the results, I think the results speak for themselves in some of the things that we've been able to do. So, again, Brian Melanson here with the Altitude Sessions podcast. Have a great 4th of July, and we will be back here in two weeks. Thanks.